for those that don't know me, my name is Martha Witten, um, better known as Clark's wife and Wendy and Abby's mom. <laughs> so, but that's okay. Um, and look, I want to pray before we start. So, Lord, we just love you so much. We just can't tell you enough how grateful we are for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your acceptance of us always and forever, no matter what. Um, that's why we're all here, Lord, to just celebrate you and your goodness. And so I just thank you for these dear ones that are here and every single person that's a part of our church. Thank you for our dear people, and I bless them. And just pray, Lord, your protection and blessing and peace and joy over them and their families, Lord. Just thank you for this morning and, and all that you're going to do this morning in our service. And just bless the worship team and... I'm not sure who's speaking today, but whoever is speaking today, bless them, Lord, and all the people again. Thank you, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for this time that <clears throat> you'll help me just to say just what you want said, Lord, and nothing else, um, and that it'll be just be a sweet time of sharing about your goodness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Okay. Well, um, I love the title of this series, Losing My Religion. For one thing, I like that song, but but other than that, um, it's a good way, to me, it's a good way, hey, Brett and Allison, it's a great way to me to describe exactly what kind of goes on in our lives as we begin to get more and more and more of, of an understanding of his goodness and grace. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to, a lot of you already know my story, so I hope this, I got Charlotte to pray that it wouldn't be too boring this morning, and Clark too, so, <laughs> so, um, so much of this you'll already know, but um, anyway, um, I listened to Brett and Allison's uh, message last week, it was so good, it was so good, and I noticed a lot of similarities in our backgrounds and how we came into grace, and some of the same things. Um, I grew up in church as well, like the, the two of you. Matter of fact, I brought. I love Matt's visual aids so much. I just love his. And I wish. I was so wishing I still had a couple of things that would have been perfect, but I got rid of them. Um, I had two gigantic notebooks, like this big. One of them was. Um, something from the 70s, Bill Gothard Youth Basics, if anybody knows of that, so would be glad if you don't. <laughs> and <clears throat> the other one was Larry Lee's Can You Not Tarry One Hour prayer thing. I, I had that, which there's some good stuff in that. There really is, but, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's the mixture of, you know, that we all struggle with, I know. Um, Anyway, if I still had those, I would have brought them. They would have been good visual aids for what I'm talking about. But my first visual aid, and this was cool. This was like a sweet thing from the Lord just yesterday, okay, because I thought, I want some visual aids, and I don't have those anymore. But I think I still have like this little thing I got when, when I was in Sunday school when I was like real little. And so what this is... It says on this side, a shepherd boy, the Lord is my helper, Hebrews 13, 6. This was my Sunday school thing. Hello, Jim and Glenda. <laughs> my Sunday school from, okay, where's the date on here? 
It was on here. I saw it. Nineteen fifty six. I was four years old. This, I mean, I even had somewhere, and I didn't want to dig it out, my cradle roll certificate. So that's how far back I go in church. Um, and I had, and the cool thing that the Lord showed me yesterday about this is when I pulled it out because I knew where it was. Um, it's about David and a story that I'm going to tell you a little bit later in this uh, about Mephibosheth and David is really what was kind of a key to unlocking to me the grace message. And so I thought, well, that's so cool. I pulled this out when a little girl studying about David, and it was the life of David that had really brought me into the goodness of the Lord. Okay, well, um, okay, I grew up in, in church. Um, I had good parents. I really did. They loved the Lord. They were dedicated. They were. My dad was always a Baptist deacon. Mom worked at the church. She had her master's in religious education, and so she worked at the church, and they were very good people, and they were not overly legalistic. They were strict with me, but they were not legalistic as far as their um, their walk with God, not too badly. And as a matter of fact, like I was Baptist church, okay, <laughs> we were not, our our we were Southern Baptist in Texas. We were not supposed to um, dance, go to dances, but they always let me go. So, so that's, you know, so my parents weren't that bad about all that stuff. And, uh, so I appreciate, and I appreciate a lot of the things about my Baptist upbringing. I got a good foundation about salvation and knowing Jesus and coming to the Lord. There was some good things in all that, but there is a whole lot of guilt in it too. And I came up always feeling like I was somewhat of a disappointment to the Lord. Um, the, the women in the Baptist church that were really celebrated were like the foreign missionaries. And, you know, I remember the Lottie Moon offering, all this stuff every year. And that was the last thing on earth I wanted to do was go be a missionary. Just, it's not me. It wasn't in my heart. But, of course, it made me feel like it was supposed to be, so therefore I'm always, you know, second tier. You know, unless you're Lottie Moon going to the mission field and you're a woman in the church, yeah. you're second tier. So that's how I grew up thinking of myself. And um, uh, the, I always kind of tease with some of my Catholic, ex-Catholic friends and say, y'all could at least go, you know, and do your thing there in the booth and and get clear and free and feel like woohoo I'm clear and free and right with God we had to carry the guilt we can never get rid of it you know it was just there and so so um, I grew up somewhat with a lot of that and so when I got to be a little older I, you know did the typical teenage go wild want to have fun and did all that kind of stuff um, but the Lord was in, the, in me and drawing me back. And so right before, and this is kind of sweet, I'm just going to say it. Um, right before my senior year in high school was when I just came back, just really gave my heart to the Lord again, even though I, I, I was already with him. But I, you know, opened up my spiritual bones again. And, and that was exactly the same summer that Clark came to the Lord. We didn't know each other. We didn't live 
close together or anything, but it was probably, and even the same month, it was July of that year that both of us were coming back to the Lord, so I thought, pretty cool. Anyway, um, but during that season of my life, I had a lot of joy. I mean, it was kind of like I felt like the burden came off, and I had a lot of joy and um, in my life, and so went to college, did the whole thing, and then uh, Clark and I met when I was home one summer from college, and that's when we, I mean, we married pretty fast, real fast, actually, six months later, and, and he was already um, working in the church part-time while he went to, was finishing college there, and so I just transferred from where I was going, started going to college there, and we got married, and and so that automatically put me into ministry, too, because, you know, teaching children's church, doing the, that whole thing. And so uh, that's kind of when the when it really started coming back on me again, all the guilt and this, all of that. Um, the senior pastor that was there at the time that kind of got Clark started in ministry, great guy, a lot of fun, very charismatic guy, but legalism to the max. He was being like, his whole uh, school of thought was you got to get everybody saved, soul saved, so go street witnessing, go do all this stuff. It was that that kind of season. And so um, that's what we did. And it was like, if you don't, if anybody that you know or anybody that you meet, if you don't lead them to the Lord, their blood is on your hands. You know, that's the kind of stuff you know, you feel that, that. And so I walked around all the time, you know, I mean, talk about guilt. I would be in a, just a store, like a Target or something, and I'd see somebody and think, I'm supposed to go lead them to the Lord. I wouldn't know them from Adam. They're busy shopping. I mean, the worst, most inopportune time, but I, it was my responsibility that every person on earth gets saved. That was my thinking, basically, and and it that's heavy, <laughs> that's heavy, and so I was on always on this self condemnation. You know, no, I didn't talk to them about the Lord. It's you know, I, I don't know. They're probably going to hell because of me. <laughs> All this kind of thinking, and so the joy was gone. And we were still in ministry at this point. Clark was a pastor. Um, we were kind of beginning to search, both of us. Our, our walk has really been together all of our lives, really. And we were both beginning to search, but there wasn't, this is like the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. There wasn't much grace out there at that time. There wasn't much we could find. There was, there were some tiny little bits here, and we were looking into that, but, you know, not a lot. And um, so... Clark one time said, you know, God doesn't have to rebuke you. You rebuke yourself enough for stuff God doesn't even care about. And that was, I had a very sensitive spirit. And so I just walked around under that all the time, and there was no joy in my walk. Um, I was, being a pastor's wife, I was trying to do the right thing and, you know, do the stuff. Um, but it got to where... Uh, I, I was I was beginning to get to this point of just kind of numbness. I'm just going to do the stuff, do the best I can, 
hope God's okay with it. And my prayer time was basically, and I, I think it was Allison, I don't remember which one of you said this, I think it, that I totally agree. My prayer time was, I could hardly get to anything past the, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't do this. I'm sorry I didn't do that. I, I saw a guy on the street corner today, and I didn't give him money, and I didn't lead him to the Lord. I mean, it was so much of that. I couldn't get past that to even have a relationship or an intimacy or, or a, a feel-good time with the Lord. It was all about the repentance all the time or what I thought was repentance. Um, so I, And I also didn't want to pray because I was pretty sure um, all of this is leading up to how, why Mephibosheth was so important to me. I had this thing in me that if I, if I get too deep in here with the Lord, he's going to make me do something I don't want to do. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't, I don't want to, you know, and I was, I was doing it, but I hated it. Street witnessing, stuff like that. I hated it. Oh, my gosh. Thursday night soul winning. I mean, we're doing this stuff. I hated it. I dreaded Thursdays. Well, Clark and I both did. We dreaded, th- he was, we, we were doing it, but we dread. Didn't like Thursdays, loved Fridays, because it was over. We could go a whole week without feeling that, you know, as much. Um, reading the scriptures, uh, you know, reading the script when you, okay, here's my second visual aid. When you read scripture with the legalistic mindset, you know, that's how it felt. There was, there was always a cloud over me. And here's, you know, I would read Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It'd be a good thing if you were pure in heart, but you aren't. So therefore, you may never see God, and you really need to work hard at getting pure, because maybe then you'll see God. Uh, Jeremiah 29:13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. <sighs> I, de- I didn't have a very long prayer time this morning, and I didn't read my Bible yesterday, and I did not tarry one hour, and I went to sleep when I got up to do it this morning. So uh, I'm not searching with all my heart, so I guess I'm not going to find him. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Okay, Lord, thank you that you chose me. Okay, now, I've got I to get holy and blameless. Show me how to do that. It was on my shoulders to get holy and blameless. That's how it felt. So in even scriptures, with, with the legalistic glasses on, are wrong, you know, so reading, reading the Bible was awful, so uh, everything was up to me, um, and it didn't matter, okay, and another thing about our walk with the Lord, like, you know, we were, we started out, he was being, uh, he was being mentored by this very legalistic pastor, then he got into trouble, that pastor did, uh, which I noticed. It's just a sidebar. I have noticed some of the ones that are the most into all that kind of stuff are the ones that end up in a, in a, a that's a good way to put it, Allison, struggling yeah. with the problem, with the fall in their ministry or in their life. So 
so anyway, we went from that, and at that point, we had, Clark had made friends with Larry Lee in, in seminary, graduate school, and we had gone uh, in the early days to what this church called Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Dallas, which was a charismatic Baptist church. And so we had been filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. We had that going on in our lives with all this other stuff. And I really think that's really what was wooing us out of the legalism the whole time is the Holy Spirit was working in there all that time. And, and what joy we got was coming from him. And so that was in there too. So it's like, but, but in that situation, you get in some of the charismatic stuff and there's, you know, it's just new rules. It's just new stuff to be holy and blameless, you know. They're over here, you got to do everything to lead everybody to Jesus. Over here, you got to pray for the fire. You know, you got to wait for the, the washing of the word. All the stuff, every denomination has their different rules of how you can be holy enough for God. And so, at that point... Um, <laughs> At that point, we were, I was kind of at this place of spiritual desperation and going through a lot of the motions, trying to find peace, but, but not really joyful in my walk with the Lord. And Clark and I were in New Mexico at the time, and we both loved to ski. And we, went, we were going on a ski trip, an overnight one. And as much as I liked skiing, I'm like, I, I got to have a session with the Lord. I got to get to the bottom of this. I can't do this anymore because I was just going through the motions. And so I took this big load of books, how to get right with God, how to make peace with God, how to feel, you know, had my books. I was all armed to the T with this. And so I said, you go ski. I'm going to do this today. And <laughs> this was a, a, a pretty great day because... I'd read these books and I'd go, done that, done that, done that, nope, nope, this didn't work, this didn't work. I remember the very last one, because I had been, you know, kind of a mean girl at some point in my life in high school when I was partying and stuff, and I'd write letters of apology thinking, that's what it is, you know, I'm, I'm unforgive, I need to forgive, I need to ask forgiveness, so I'd write these girls and I'm so sorry I was mean to you, and I shouldn't have done, and they, you know, they answer me and go like, "What are you talking about? I don't even remember that." But that well, I was tormented with all this stuff, and so the last book I read, it said, "Step one, all of these books. Step one, do this. Step two, do this." You know, and I'm looking for peace here, and step one of that book is make sure that you've asked forgiveness, examine your heart, and make sure. There's nothing between you and anybody else, and you ask forgiveness if the Lord brings something up. I got that book and swung it across the room. I'm like, that's it? I give up. I give up. Lord, I know I belong to you. I love you. I want to be all you want me to be. I don't know how. I give up. And I know he must have been going, finally, you know. But at the time, I was numb. I wasn't hearing it. And so um, I kept just loving my family, being at church, doing what I did, and just feeling like this isn't all that great as far as my walk with the Lord. Family was great, not, you know, all that. But um, So 
I, I felt like I'll never be all that I'm supposed to be. That was kind of where I was living. And so I was just kind of resigned to that. Well, at that point, this is what's kind of cool. The, it's when when it, the Lord got me to that point, uh, we had been sort of the delving a little bit. If anybody that we could find that taught a little bit about grace, and Clark invited Dudley Hall to our church. And Dudley was was teaching a little bit of grace at that time. And so this is the whole thing about Mephibosheth. And I, ooh, I've got to have my phone because it's got my Bible thing in it. Sorry, forgot about that. Because I want to read. It's <laughs> 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 true. There it is. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm just going to read this little bit. Where are we on time? Okay, I'm going to read this little bit of scripture here um, in Samuel. I'm in 2 Samuel 9. Um, the story of Mephibosheth, who was John, David and Jonathan. I know you know about that. This, um, Mephibosheth was uh, Jonathan's son. And, and this is really what really opened my heart up. Okay, I'm going to start reading. Uh, well, I, the background, I know most everybody in here knows this, but the background, as you know, is David was not anointed king yet, Saul still alive, um, but he was chasing David. He was jealous of David, chasing, you know, and David would, I will not touch God's anointed, he's the anointed king, so David continued to just run and stay away from Saul and didn't kill him, didn't fight him. He said, I'm, you know, I'm, he honored that. But during all that time, when David was just, you know, staying back, he became close friends with Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, made a covenant with Jonathan. And anyone from your family, if something happens to me or something happens to you, anyone from your family uh, that, uh, if anything happens to you, anyone from your family, I will take care of them. And they made that covenant with each other. So then, as you know, then Saul and Jonathan both died in one of the battles with some of the ites. I don't even know which battle it was, but they both died. And so this is where this starts. Then David is anointed king. Well, all this time, Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. He's a little tiny guy, I think, at the time. And he is raised thinking he, you know, the natural thing is once you become king, you kill who your enemies were. The natural thing would have been for him, for David to go and kill everybody that was of Saul's lineage. But he had that covenant with Jonathan and that wasn't in David's heart to do. And so therefore, instead of going to kill anybody, he was, he was looking to do good for them. But Mephibosheth, and all of those people didn't know this or they refused to believe it. I don't know, living in fear about it. And so they would always run from David. And so at some point when Mephibosheth was a little tiny, that they got news that David's armies are coming and the nursemaid had, was holding him. She fell and it broke, it injured him and it said he was lame in both feet. So this is where this starts. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start at verse 
1 of 2 Samuel 9. Then David said, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they summoned him to David. The king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there no one remaining in the house of Saul to whom I would show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, one who is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of somebody, the son of somebody in Lodabar. Then King David sent messengers who brought him to the house um, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. So he thinks, I've been brought here to be murdered. I've been, yeah, they're going to kill me. He, they know who I am. They're going to kill me. So he's, he's deceived about what's going on here. Uh, Mephibosheth, the son of Don, Jonathan, uh, who was the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And, and I, I, I liken this to, this is us, when we're living under that guilt of thinking God's mad at us, God's disappointed at, with us, I'm not ever going to measure up. This is, our, this is our position. Oh, God, you know, we, we, we won't get off our face. Okay. Um, Mephibosheth said, uh, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of the land of your grandfather Saul, and you yourself shall eat my, at my table regularly. Sorry, it's still... And again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant, that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? And as I'm thinking about all of this, it was like the Lord's trying to tell us, you know, I'm going to take care of you. I love you. You're mine. And we're still going, why would you like a dead dog like me? You know, why? And, <clears throat> and um, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, everything that belonged to Saul and all his house I've given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. You shall bring the produce so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat regularly at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the son, In accordance with everything that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And somehow that penetrated my heart that day. I mean, I thought, that's God's heart toward us. That is it. It's not the other. It just hit. I mean, I think the timing was just so, I'd, I'd been at such a point of desperation that that got through. And it's, you know, this is a church service. You know, it just finishes. I just laid down in the chairs like this. I couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I was so overwhelmed, I laid down and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, sobbing out all that condemnation, all that guilt, all that self-introspection. It was, it was a huge, huge, huge day for me because I think it was the beginning of seeing who God really was. I had been deceived about my king, just like Mephibosheth had been deceived about King David. It opened up the whole new world. It was like 
somebody opened the gate and the cows got out. You know, it was, <laughs> it was a whole new world because we, Clark and I were, and, he, and Clark was going through basically the same thing I was and searching this out. And I mean, we really, and the Lord just at that point, I think for me anyway, at that point was when, when I began to see it enough to be able to search it out and begin to see things differently. You know, the, the sunglasses, the legalistic glasses came off. I, I began to try to read the scripture differently um, because I still struggle with some of it. Like I would still go to Clark and go, okay, look, look at what this one says. You know, and he'd say, look at this. What is it you would always say? Look at it in the light of like, Jesus, what did you always say to me when I would come with that? Lens of the grace. The lens of, lens of grace. grace. And yeah, yeah. Thank you, Saul. <laughs> he said there. <laughs> and, and so um, little by little, my understanding would open up. And, um, and, and, the, and the, one of the things that Clark also said a lot to me, was he would remind me constantly what, you know, Jesus said to us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at Jesus. Does this line up with who he is? Does this line up with what he said? Does this, and that helped a lot. And um, let me see what the time is here. Okay. Um, I was going to, one of the things also that helped me, um, and at the end I have just sort of the thing I think the Lord kind of like a word, but it's not a big word. It's just little. But um, one of the things that helped me a lot, um, like I said, I was struggling with scripture uh, a lot. And so I had read this study about journaling and I started journaling and I began to see, because I'm somebody that's easily distracted. <laughs> and I began to see that in my prayers, if I would write my prayers, it sort of would focus my mind enough that I was starting to hear God in my prayers more than I ever had. And so I would write all this, I'd just pour out my heart, you know, write all this stuff. And, and then he would, I would, and I don't want this to sound like weird or mysterious or new agey because it's not at all. It would just be kind of like the Lord would just say, my child. And I'd just start writing and I would write what I was hearing him say. And and it focused to where I felt like it was, I was not being pulled away like, uh, you know, what did God say about that? What it, because it was making me do that. And then later I would read what he said and it'd be like, wow. And so that was a kind of something that really helped me um, with my intimacy and my prayer time with the Lord. Um, one of the things that, in, in one of the things, I, I was just reading through some of my older journals <clears throat> uh, yesterday when I was getting ready. One of the things that, that like, here's the kind of stuff that the Lord would say to me. Um, Child, when you accept and revel in my grace and the finished work on the cross, you bring me glory. Because you know how we always say, Lord, how do we, you know, show the world? How do we? And he said, the, in, the primary way the world sees me in you is joy and peace and rest. That is something the world rarely sees. Yeah. That was something that he said to me in my journaling. 
<clears throat> excuse me, and I was going to read, there was one more that I felt like was like an example of how, and it's funny when I was reading some of this from like the 90s even, you know, in the 2000s, and I'm like, oh man, I was still, I, you can see where I'd be like, oh Lord, oh gee, I didn't do, you know, I was still dealing with that, and how he gently gently all along would bring me and say, but no, that's, that's not important. And, and it's like, and then let me find the one that all this stuff is like that I said, you know. <laughs> um, and then I would always say to him, you know, how much I loved him and all this. And here's, here's something he said back. And <clears throat> it just kind of gives you an idea of the difference in how my prayer time had been so labored and I couldn't even get to an intimacy with him because I felt, you know, unworthy. And, and it changed to this. He said to me, I love you too, my child. I just said, I love you. I'm so pleased that you're learning to rest in that love. That truly is the call on your life, to rest in my love and to lead others to do that. You and Clark have a unique part of that call. I have many children with that same call, but each of you has a unique story and purpose. Yours is always to stay, so, to stay focused on my grace. There are so many out there who are hurt. They have sensitive spirits. They may have been hurt by religion, and many of, of these people do not seem to like, and many of these people do not even seem like sensitive people. They have been hardened with shells of fear and guilt they, that encase them and leave them captive. Only one thing will release them, my love. Rules will not help them. It only further hardens them. Formulas and appearances will not touch them. They must sense and feel my love. Stay on this track as you make plans, as you do what is in your hearts to reach out to this city. Remember this. It will not be a program or an image that will reach them. Those are fine if it helps initially to bring them in good, but the key will be love. What will break the ice will be love. Keep this in mind and do not fear. I'm not asking you to do anything that I will not enable you to do. It will be easy as you make sure you spend enough time receiving from me. Stay in my presence that you may be continually renewed and refreshed, knowing that no matter what happens, a plan may fail, a service doesn't work, a disappointment comes. I love you, and our, inter- our eternity together is wonderful. Rest in our relationship so that who you are comes out to those you are trying to reach. You may feel that you're inadequate to love others when, when many have so, needs so great. I will love them. I will supply their needs. I will. You just need to remember to pour my grace out on them, my love, my acceptance, my forgiveness. This is what will reach them. Remember, it's what reached you. That's the kind of thing that he would speak to me. This was in 2000. That's the kind of thing that he began to speak. And so that, that really is, in essence, the story of coming to grace and why, to me, the grace, the grace message is the gospel. You know, we have a lot of friends that we love that don't understand. This is in other 
churches, other pastors and their families, they don't, we love them, they love us, but they don't understand our focus. You know, it's like, oh yeah, grace is good and everything, but you know, y'all, there's other stuff out there and I just want to scream, no, there's not. (laughs) But it's all him at grace, his love, his forgiveness. That's the only message we have for the world. That's all of it. That's all of it. Um, I'm going to end with, okay, we're doing good. I'm going to end with, uh, just this week, I was watching Joseph Prince, um, and it was a rerun, but it's still good. I I keep watching the reruns. Um, And he had a word, and I don't even know when this word was, but he talked about, he had a word for the church. And I thought, it's, I don't know when he did this, because I know it was not, real recent, but it's still good, and it's still right. Um, he said, a tool of the enemy in the last days is to wear down the saints. He said, remember, come all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And when he was saying that, I felt like he said, tell, tell the people, tell people, rest, rest. When you look around, everything's chaotic. That's what you see, chaos. And it feels like, should we take up arms? Should we go, you know, what do we do? And the Lord said, rest. And and remember, and this makes me think of Matt's message that I loved it just, I don't know if it was last week or week before, when it was, but God, I mean, look for God because he's always for the, the underdog. It's amazing. In the situations where it looks hopeless, that's when, God shows up, so it's a but God, and I felt like the Lord just said, and and I'm going to end with prayer here in just a second, but that that is a word for all of us. Rest in him, and remember, but God, because he's already promised us perilous times will come, but fear not, because I'm with you. So that's where we are, is um, perilous times will come. We can all see it all around us. But we don't need to fear. We need to rest. And, and, I, and I guess that's partly why I think grace is so important. You don't rest until you understand you're loved. So anyway, okay, I'm going to pray. And then if anybody has anything they want to say, because we have a couple more minutes if you want, I'm going to pray. And then if you have anything you want to say or ask, I'm good with it. Lord, just thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I I get emotional every time I go through this again. Lord, remembering, remembering. And I think about how you told the Israelites so many times, you know, to put down stones of remembrance. So it's so important to remember the ways and the sweetness that you gave to us, Lord, when you would bring this message. And I know everyone in here probably has a story like this where, There are moments in their life where you reached them with this message of unconditional, never-ending, constant love for us, Lord. I just, it's, it's hard to grasp, it's hard to understand, but Lord, we thank you for, for your love and your mercy and your care, your provision, your peace, your joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you so much. I just pray, Lord, for every single person in here and those that they love, that they will know how much you love them, Lord. Just bless them all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.